Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Keep It Renal podcast. Um, got a great interview for you today. Um, today I'm talking to Sandra Curry, who is the Chief Exec of Kidney Research UK. Um, wanting to get an idea of what the past year has been like for her um, and the charity as a whole, the hurdles they've had to navigate, the challenges they've had to overcome. Um, I think it's safe to say we've all had a pretty unusual year um, but hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're coming out of it now. So we're going to talk to Sandra and just hear about how the last year has been for her and some of the lessons that uh, Sandra and the charity have picked up along the way that might hopefully improve um, the charity even if even if we sort of transition back to more normal times. Just to let you know, um, Sandra names a couple of the programmes of work that they're managing to fund. Um, one of these is the Stonygate Research Award. This programme is to fund work that looks at transforming treatment um, and it's it's funded by uh, Kidney Research UK and the Stonygate Trust um, and they're looking at ways to make dialysis more tolerable and effective, extend the life of a transplant uh, and make it easier to live with, make monitoring less invasive uh, and develop and expand the use of medical technology. Uh, to achieve earlier diagnosis and better patient management. So it's obviously a lot of the key interests of Kidney Research UK as a whole. So it's fantastic that they've been able to um, fund the Stony Gate uh, Research Awards this year. And the other kind of funding that Sandra touches upon is funding the fellows through um, fellowships. Um, these are for early career researchers, so researchers who have uh, recently f- done postdoctoral training and are looking to start to branch out, branch out as independent scientists in their own right and this really is the sort of next generation of um, PIs um, and investigators um, who will be sort of leading um, the charge in the next generation so I just thought I'd underline that just in case uh, just in case those terms are unfamiliar. Um, Not much of an introduction this week then we're going to get straight into the action so without much more waffle from me here's Sandra. I'm Sandra and Um, I'm the Chief Executive at Kidney Research UK. Um, I started my working life in Glasgow um, as a mental health nurse. I trained there and worked there for a while. I've lived down in England for some time now and for the last 30 years I've worked in the voluntary sector and for the last nine almost um, I've been Chief Executive at Kidney Research. We're coming up now to like a a year I think since since the first lockdown. I think this this time last year it was starting to look serious but we didn't really know the way it was going to go what what did it what did it look like for you around this time last year like what what were the sort of big projects on the horizon that got affected by the lockdown and how did things really change for you going into the lockdown you and the charity I guess so I mean this time of year is always really busy for us it's the end of a financial year we move into a new year on the first of April. So it's always pretty busy reflecting on what have we achieved in the last year, reaching you know the last few weeks of the year and making sure we've got as much money through the books as possible. Um, and really building in big ambitious plans for next year. Um, we like growth at kidney research, that's always what we're about, doing more, you know, funding more research, learning more about the challenges and making headway with the changes in care as a result of that research and we had really big plans last year we were moving into what we saw as a new phase of our strategy launching a new strategy focusing on some key areas 
um, bit of recruitment to build the team so that we could deliver it. And that all changed in the period of a short few weeks where our focus had to be different to get us into the beginning of a new year that was actually very different to what we wanted it to be. Yeah, and it was really, it was really intense, wasn't it? Because it became sort of more serious by the day and what was going to be an initial, I think they were talking about just two or three week lockdown, weren't they? A, sh- a sort of yeah. short, sharp shock, which if it had worked out with that, might, might have been quite limited the impact really. It wouldn't have been that many events that had to be cancelled. I think I was due to be going to a group in Exeter, I think um, a late, some uh, women's institute group who raised money for Kidney Research UK. And it was it was only two days before the lockdown that I thought I should probably cancel that, you know. And even that felt like a bit of a knee jerk. And then the way it went since then, what became your sort of immediate priorities when it sort of became clear that this was going to be an ongoing situation? I remember the lockdown day or the day the day it was announced, which I think was then going to be followed by the lockdown on the Tuesday. Um, and we had a couple of very, very immediate priorities. We had a big trustee meeting planned. So that obviously was immediately taken out to be remote, a remote meeting, our first, we're now experts at it, but it was our first time of doing it. Um, And actually I was in the office that day because technically we weren't confident that we could do everything online with nobody in the office. So I, I was one of two people who were in the office managing that trustee meeting. And that, I suppose it was handy that we had that kind of emergency opportunity to realign the charity and decide what we needed to do as in, in our response. But the other big thing that we were doing the day after that, we were planning to be interviewing fellows. Yeah. Um, so we had, you know, I'm sure f- people had bought their train tickets and you know, planned their route um, if they were driving in. And we had to cancel all of them. And that was pretty devastating, saying, you know, calling people who were coming, looking for their next um, grant, uh, a career grant that was going to perhaps see them through two or three years of the next stage of their career. And they didn't even get the chance to come and be interviewed. So we were making very immediate business decisions to, to, to cancel things. We had a lot of people to talk to, lots of supporters, lots of um, meetings that were planned. So, yeah, it was pretty constant over the the few days, getting everyone out to work from home, which we were able to do reasonably well, I think. We were quite well prepared for any kind of business interruption that meant we couldn't work from the office. We had not anticipated that it was going to be a year, but we were kind of ready saying if we had to close the office for a week or two, is everyone equipped a laptop and a phone and access to the cloud and all the things you need? So we were in reasonable shape for that. But certainly the the kind of business continuity plan that that we had in place, we hadn't expected to utilise it ever in that way. And we certainly didn't expect to have it wholesale, the whole organisation out working from home. Yeah. How's that been? Have you, how have you felt sort of working from home? Has it been, what have been sort of the challenges of that? Do you think it's as effective or would you, would you like to go back to sort of working in your main hub down in Peterborough again? So for me personally, I'm not a great fan of home working. Um, it just, it's not, it's not me. I like to be with people. I like to see people and I've kind of got used to some of it 
some, you know, and, and there are some real advantages. If I know I've got a day of phone calls, a day of concentrating on papers, or, you know, actually I've kind of developed the pattern that works for me to do that. I've become used to working from home, which we've all had to do. But there's a huge part of me that still would prefer to be in the office, you know, hearing people in the background while I'm getting on with what I need to do. I think there'll be a nice, happy medium the thing that I definitely miss and the thing that's hard to try and replace are the, is the spon- spontaneous chat or the, you know, you have a quick little problem, not necessarily something you'd arrange a meeting with someone about, you know, like I might pop in and speak to Gav quickly about how I'm going to do an experiment and he'll have a quick idea and suddenly you're doing something that's much better for that two minutes. Yeah. And you, there's no way you can sort of arrange for that or, you know, overhearing that someone's going to try something and you're like, oh, I've done that and it's difficult to try it like this. I don't know how how you could ever incorporate that into working from home. And just that just that sociability, I find it really hard if I'm working from home to sort of sit there nine to five. And it makes me realise how much when I'm in the lab, you know, I might spend 10 minutes chatting to that person here and there. And it just really helps you keep your energy off. As I say, we're quite lucky in the lab, the number of us that have, have been back and able to safely work around each other. It's just, um, even so, we're having to book places. So it'd be nice for the sort of spontaneity to return a little bit. And and I think you miss, you know, sometimes you in the office where the majority of the kidney research team are all in one place in Peterborough and, and perhaps something will come in and you can hear a, you know, you, you can just, we're all in a big open plan space. So you could just gather two or three folk and say let's oh look you know what do we do here and it's, it's an informal but immediate response and as you say now we have to say okay who do I need to call do I need to get and you probably don't gather three or four people you might just sort it yourself or get one person to hear what the you know or you hand it over to someone you don't get that five or ten minutes of just shaping something before you move it on yeah I miss that miss that yeah, yeah. and we are and we are social animals you know I I I do, I'm, I'm somewhat of an ambivert, I think I do get, I'm chatty, but I do sort of need my quiet time, but there's been way too much quiet time, I didn't need this much quiet time, so I should be fully recharged and ready to go by the time it's all fully reopened. Having having said all that, and it, it obviously has been difficult, and the, you know, there have been tricky, tricky situations that, you know, you as a charity have had to navigate, but I... I've been really heartened to hear about kidney beam and when I spoke to you before about leanness and the sort of new approaches. And actually, I think you've done a really, really good job given the circumstances. Have you felt heartened by that, about how flexible as an organisation you've been able to be? You know, there are some positive things here we need to remember in the year that's gone by. We've done some things in a better way than perhaps we would have done in normal times. And kidney beam is definitely one of them. The problem of patients being at home, unable to access renal physio services, more in need of them than ever, and just no real prospect of that coming, becoming available for them. That was brought to us. I had a chat with Charlene Greenwood about it. I know you've done podcasts yeah, with Charlene yeah. too. And it felt like it was something we really needed to get behind, to get the pilot up and running, to test was this a platform that would be usable for patients, that would bring that opportunity to patients to um, maintain their health and well-being during this time, but also generating evidence that might say, you know, this is actually when we do return to more normal times, this might still be a really valid intervention and might be able to reach more patients and maintain 
health for patients um, ahead of starting dialysis or ahead of a transplant or post-transplant. There's all sorts of different aspects of care being uh, explored, um, how BEAM can help them. So that was a real boost for us as a charity to be able to say we can get behind that and support the development, support the beginning, early stages of it. And it continues to be really fantastic to see, to hear the comments that patients are um, feeding back about how beneficial it's been for them, how they're perhaps exploring things that are, um, they, they wouldn't have ever thought about doing or they might have thought about doing but just not taken that step. And I think the approach from all of the contributors to being all of the people that are taking the, the classes and the, um, putting the sessions on are very, they, they make it very available and accessible for people that even if you're not an exercise person or you've never even wanted to do yoga or you maybe wanted to do it but not taken the step to do it. Um, we're hearing all sorts of people saying, actually, I'm, I'm in now, I'm doing it. And they're kind of advocating that to other fellow patients. So I guess it's a lot less intimidating doing it in your own home. You know, the class is sort of coming to you. And there, yeah. there's fewer excuses then if the class is coming to you, because there's a lot of, you know, myself, if you go into a class, there's a lot of opportunities to bail out on that, isn't there? You know, you're getting ready, you're getting in the car, or oh, I can't find parking or whatever it is. Whereas if you're, you're at home I think I heard um Dr Tom Wilkinson uh, describe it as um a prescription for confidence um and that's what it is it's just it's it's giving patients the confidence just to give it a go and they'll be on their own you know perhaps if you're a bit self-conscious that people are watching well they're not you're in your own you're in your own home did that did that really boost feelings within the charity that even despite everything that was going on and all the firefighting you were having to do on the business side, but actually in terms of your support, you were still increasing it. It, it was a really important point over the summer, as you say, but that was our first kind of, we were able to do something proactively that was going to make a difference. Um, and subsequently, we've looked at other um, research uh, projects that are using BEAM. So we've funded another research project since the initial, it's not just the platform itself and getting it set up, um, we and, and we're considering another, we have an application now for another piece of research, which will all build that momentum around saying, you know, what can we do around exercise and well-being and supporting patients and improving the prospects of good outcomes for them. We've always funded physical exercise and various bits of research around that. So it's not new for us, it's just a new way. I think the other thing that we were able to do around that was a, make a very quick decision. That's because we needed to. There was an urgency about it. You know, it was going to take time to get the platform built, so they needed to know they had the backing to to get that to happen. Um, and that was really important to be able to say, well, we're not in a normal climate, so we don't have time to plan weeks ahead when we might bring a panel together to review whether we had the money to do this and make the right decisions about it. We did it really quickly. Um, and we'll we'll learn from that. You know, that's that's how it should be. And I was challenged the other day, we were chatting amongst the team about plans for next year and some funding. And the, the timelines looked quite long. And you know, we said, well, hang on, if we 
in this COVID year, we've really shortened those timelines of decision making and we haven't lost any of the quality or you know scrutiny that we do. So why are we not just carrying that forward into the new way? Yeah, and that's that's it's funny, while you were while you were talking about that, it was making me think of um I I once overslept for uh, we were going to a conference in Germany and I my alarm didn't go off and I woke up with a taxi driver knocking at my door and I I had a shower, got my bag and got out of the house in eight minutes. And um, it really, really stands in my head now of um, if I have to, I can have a shower and get out of the house within, you know, eight minutes. Eight minutes. Uh, it's really stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't always do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's good to know what you can do if you're, if you're really up against it, isn't it? So, so we've also been asked to support some COVID-related research um, and we're funding two very specific pieces just now. Um, Protect V, yeah. which, again, I think you've spoken to Rona about that recently. Yeah. And that was brought to us as, as, you know, as a really urgent piece of work. Um, urgent because we needed to know the, the response for patients if it was going to be protective. We wanted that protection as soon as possible. But it was urgent to get the decision to try and be in to recruit patients ahead of the vaccination programme. So we had to really respond to that in a timeline that wasn't familiar to us at all. Um, but the team were amazing. We were the people who helped us look at the grants, members of the grants committee, the chair of the grants committee, several trustees. You know, they were available at very short notice to read the papers, consider and discuss within a matter of days, you know, and then Later, we had a further need to review a second phase of that. Um, some amendments had to be made and we had to recall everyone to come and look again. And I think everyone's commitment to getting an answer and, and doing all the due diligence we have to do and talking to the rest of our trustee board for approval, we were able to do all of that. We just did it differently. The Protect V trial is incredible. I mean, it, it, you know, finally sort of this specialist patient group that often get left out of these kinds of trials because of their sort of immunocompromised situation are actually being put front and centre in a trial. And it could help other patient groups if, if we get a good result here. And I think it's I think it's brilliant. And like you say, to get it done in a matter of days whereby three, three or four weeks or something like that would feel optimistic previously. So it yeah, it does show you what you can do, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean there were other holdups on the way with other decision making external to us, but I think we were we've been able to do what you know really accelerate our, the bit of the process that's in our control um, to enable um, people to to develop the plans and get that research underway and start recruiting. So that was another moment when we all felt really good when we heard first patients had been recruited um, in Cambridge, and we've just heard that um, there's an urgent public health badge now being awarded to that trials so that means it will be reaching other other units now and patients in other parts of the country will be signing up and, and joining that trial so yeah there's there's lots of things that we've we've been very proud of that we've been able to respond appropriately to the urgent need for, for the research in that area and that we've been able to find the money from you know we've got limited funds coming in this year but some of our supporters have been amazing and we've been able to preserve our income, reduce lots of costs and um, 
and fund things that really matter and really need to happen right now. So another thing that was really unexpectedly good last year was that we were able to launch the Andy Cole Fund. Right, yeah, yeah. So we we had great plans for um, the fund to be launched in public. It would have been probably up at Old Trafford and, you know, there's lots of Andy's, you know, football colleagues and friends with us. So we weren't able to do that. But we launched it in Mental Health Awareness Week um, and because... Andrew's very keen for people to understand the psychological impact of kidney disease and how he's dealt with that. Um, so you'll have met him when he came yeah. down to Bristol. Yeah. He loved coming to meet the researchers. He talks about that anytime um, he's doing interviews for us or talking about the charity. He talks about meeting these fantastic researchers in Bristol who helped him understand a bit more about uh, the reason for his kidney failure and um, also give him a bit of hope about what the future might look like for him and for other people like him. To be able to get the, the fund launched was really great. We haven't been able to hold a couple of big events that would have been attached to the Andy Cole Fund, but at least we've got it out there, we've started, we're beginning to raise some funds um, that we'll then use to um, improve transplantation and so that's what he wants the research uh, to be funded around transplantation, a bit about mental health support too. Um, and really his aim is to help us raise awareness uh, to make sure people understand what really having kidney disease means to people and that it's, you know, it's not an easy, it's not an easy journey to be on, different for everyone, but having someone so well known and so popular across the country um talking about it and being very honest about yeah, no, the difficulties that he's faced um i think is really helpful so that was that was another seems a long time ago now but actually we were with andrew at a dinner in february when we were beginning to think covid's arriving we didn't know what that meant um we sent a note out the day before the dinner saying we understood if people might not want to come because that was at the very early stages of people feeling a bit uncertain about you mm. know whether it was a good thing to be out and about. Mm. So it was a, a small dinner, about 20, 25 people heard him talk about the plans for the next year, which of course changed. Um, but I, we were pleased to have got that over the line during the year and we've got lots more to do yeah. now to build that yeah and he's been he's been doing some great stuff online you know virtually speaking to people lots of radio talking yeah, about, I've heard of a few about yeah he's he's really great and i think the i think the the key thing for me is that he you know he has had his transplant and that you know whenever i talk to people about what i do people assume that well you just have a transplant as if, yeah. as if we don't need to do any work on kidneys anymore because you just have a transplant. And it's really important to get the message across that transplant might be a good treatment and, you know, if you, if you need it, you need it. But it's it's far from a cure and comes with its own set of burdens yeah. of itself. So that's a really important message to get out there, I think. And he, he's doing a great job of it. Like you say, he's been all over the media during, during lockdown. I've, I've heard him quite a few times. So he's doing a great job for you. 
Yeah, yeah. He's doing a great job across the whole sector, really, isn't he? And I think it's it's his message. And, and you, we all need to hear it from different people, don't we? We need to hear it from young people, older people, men, women, you know, and, you know, an elite sportsman who people, you know, ha- maybe have it has different challenges. But, you know, he's telling us straight what it's like for him. Um and we feature in his book, which is lovely. You know, he oh, mentioned he talks in the, in his book, which came out in the summer about his life with kidney disease and working with us. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's lovely. There's there, there's lots to reflect on in the year that's gone and be proud of. And so, if this time of year is a big planning time for you with the with the way our financial year goes, how on earth are you planning? For next year, because it, it still feels like there are quite a few things up in up in the air a little bit. Um, so, what what sort of approach are you taking going into the next financial year? So, it's never felt like this at the end of a year. Um, we're normally pretty sure how the year is going to finish, um, and we usually have firm plans for the first six months of the year and fairly firm plans for the remainder of next year Um, and everything just feels a bit up in the air just now so we've got kind of alternative plans for every scenario we're still not certain how the financial year will finish and we're only a few weeks away from it we're expecting to end the year kind of on the budget that we revised in the summer which is really disappointing because it you know it's it's about half of what we'd expected to be gaining this year all the growth has come out, you know, and we've also lost income that we would, in any normal year, would be rely, we'd be able to rely on. But that said, we've been able to get support from people that have always been loyal to us and have stuck with us. And some of those people have been able to be more, even more generous than normal. And we've got lots of commitments for next year. We'll have, we'll have had a year that I think we've, we're content that we've done as, as best we could. And we've been able to fulfil all of our research commitments that we have, because in any given year, we're funding things that we might have awarded two years ago or three years ago. It was, we've kept all of that money on the table for everybody we pledged to support. We awarded a grants round for paediatrics, which was great. We did that in the summer, a bit later than planned, but we were able to do that. And then we've done these research projects around COVID, which were so important, and been. But actually, I'm quite excited to tell you that we're also in next week looking at a Stony Gate round. So we have a grants committee meeting to make um, a Stony Gate uh, round um, awards. Right, which yeah. is about eight weeks later than normal. We usually do it in January, February. We're doing it in March. But the fact that we're doing it yeah, in this yeah. financial year is, is very exciting. Um, and we'll, we'll have the same amount of money that we normally have for that grant trend. Well, that's brilliant. In addition, those uh, fellows that I said to you, we were unable to even interview last March. We've gone back to them. They've been shortlisted and we're ready to come for interview. We've gone back to that group um, and said if their project is still viable and they're still looking for funding, we will meet them. Um, And we're seeing probably just over half 
of those people that were due to come last March are coming to see us on the 29th of March for an interview. Oh, wow. Um, so we expect also to be awarding a, a much smaller number than we would have done last year, but it's the beginning of us reinstating that yeah. fellowship type activity. And that's, this is hot off the press. Not everybody knows this, Carol. Oh, wow, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Except those that are coming for interview, they've yeah. got their date. Um, but we will be able to award some fellowships this year. And that's another really important thing. Yeah, so we're finishing the year with a reduced fellowship award a year late. We're finishing with Stonygate awards at the same kind of level and about eight weeks later than normal. Um, and we've got at least paediatrics to look back on that we did a full paediatric round last year. I think given the economic shock, that's a huge success, actually. Yeah, and, and at the beginning of the year, we didn't think we, we, we thought we might not be able to do any. You know, we thought we might not be out there at all, really, with any um, scale of funding. So we now need to build on that. And our, all of our focus is on how can we get some the next year's calls reinstated? Um, and what else can we do to boost our income? over the year um, we, we feel it's beginning to be have an upward turn to it but we're seeking support um, across the board to say can we accelerate that upward turn please you know it'd be nice to see it um, boosted more quickly um, and we're determined to do everything we can to to get to get everything back on track as soon as possible. So expect to see some more open calls next year. They might be a wee bit less than before in the scale of funding we have available. There might not be as many, but the building is towards getting it back to the level that we left behind in March 2020. Because we weren't leaving it behind willingly and we want no, to get it back <laughs> yeah, as soon yeah. as we can. Yeah. So, so with a view to that, what are you, what are you most looking forward to when when sort of we are back to normal and restrictions are lifted when I, when I first joined kidney research I didn't know a huge amount about kidneys I'd, I'd worked as a nurse and I'd worked in other medical charities before I came so I kind of went out on the road Tim Goodship who said you know you need to go and see this person that person and spend time there um so I, I did it then as part of my induction but I've always kept doing it you know because it's so important I love having a cup of tea with folk and a chat and getting to know, you know, really understand why we're here, what, what, why the charity matters to people and what we need to be doing. So I miss that. You asked earlier about meetings. You know, meetings online are fine, but in relationships and not kind of engagement with folk, you know, having a cup of coffee with someone at a train station or, you know, just catching up with some you know patients in a renal unit or a, a group of researchers around a table in a university to you know, tell us what they what they want from the charity what they expect or what they like or don't like about what we're doing I really miss that feedback because that that gives you the impetus for everything we do I, I'm always quoting you know this person said that to me or that person said that to me and some of it's quite historical now you know it might have been from those early visits but but they helped me learn and they helped the organization hear what other people think we need to be doing and helps us shape who we are yeah and I miss that yeah 
because I think, I think it sticks in your mind more when you you know so obviously through like the update magazine and things like that I might read about various patients stories or experiences yeah but it definitely sticks in your mind more when I've like heard the patients speak at the fellows day or met patients when we've had patient days here and even if some of them you know I might have read their story in your magazine or read about their experiences but it, it, there's, there is just something different about it when you're stood in the same room that sort of human experience rather than just reading the black and white and it's the same over zoom it's it's a good it's a good analog and it's meant that we can be functional but you you do sort of lose that I don't know I don't really know what to call it it's a sort of intangible essence isn't it that you you just lose somehow and I think one thing that perhaps sums up what I'm it's not easy to say you you're right it's not very tangible but I, I was in Birmingham we were meeting Neerja Jane who's one of our great colleagues had arranged a meeting um, with all, a, a whole, a, quite a large group of the imams who work across the mosques in Birmingham we were talking about organ donation and um, the whole kind of concept of kidney disease in the communities we were in Birmingham City Hall big meeting we'd, we'd popped out for a kind of tea break cups of tea feature a lot in my life which is, um, were, it was obvious why a lot of people were there people knew each other they knew most of the imams were quite well known to the rest of the audience but two men came and spoke to me and said why are you here um, so I told them you know that I was the chief executive of kidney research what we do why we were there as a charity and why it was important to us to be talking about organ donation and understanding what some of the challenges were. They were brothers, I didn't know that, but one of them then said to me, he has kidney disease and um, he was really pleased. He didn't realise a charity like ours existed and so much was being done for him and he was very grateful. And then his brother, who was standing next to him, said, well, that's all very well that you're doing all that great stuff, but it's not enough. And the power of him saying that, his brother was mortified. He said, you can't say that. That's rude. You know, you mustn't say that to her. And I thought, well, yes, you can say that because it's not enough. What the charity is doing is not yet enough you know, for his brother, who was clearly, he was probably in his 40s and, you know, wasn't, wasn't feeling too well. His health was pretty poor at that time. He was in decline. And his brother was right. We weren't doing enough and we probably weren't doing it soon enough for his brother. That really stuck with me. And I tell that story quite a lot to the team. You know, when we're feeling good about stuff, that's great. Take the praise. It is good. We are doing good stuff, but it's not enough. I don't even know these two gentlemen's names because we didn't introduce themselves. It stuck with me. And I miss those kind of moments because they're the things that keep you, keep you kind of on track. And on the days when it's easy maybe to think oh I've had enough today I'm tired you think well yeah but it's you know have I done enough today yeah. for, for those lovely gentlemen in Birmingham who very bluntly told me we went well, that's, a, that's a really good thing for me to keep in mind that, that does really hit hard I used to um I think I've said this story before on the podcast but um I used to feel sorry for myself when I was doing my PhD because I have to go in inevitably the time point I had to go in do an experiment at was midnight usually and um, I'd always feel sorry for myself going back in at like a Friday night, midnight, whatever, to do this experiment. But on driving to the lab, I'd drive past the dialysis unit at Southmead Hospital. 
that would still be open at midnight. It would have yeah. people in, and that was always a big sort yourself out moment. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I'm going to go in and do this experiment. I'll be going home again in half an hour. You can, you know, have a word with myself. But that's that's the same, isn't it? Yeah, it, it that's sort of a nice interaction as well because you you've reached out to one fella and he's found out about the charity. You think that's good? We're spreading the word, and then yeah, but that's the thing. It's so emotive, isn't it? And that you know, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess for, for him and his brother, it, it's not enough, is it? So that, yeah, that... yeah, It's a good thing to learn. And there's all sorts of times when people have just said a couple of words or a sentence or something. You think that that resonates, you know. Yeah. There's some others I probably couldn't repeat on the podcast. recorded. I certainly couldn't tell you who had said it. Um, but, the, you know, there's other things where people challenge you and say things. And, and it's just helpful. It's helpful to remember those comments that you you wouldn't get in a formal meeting you wouldn't get on a zoom call you know we we do organ donation promotional stuff all you know on zoom now um near just still doing that and but but i wouldn't get that chance to have a cup you know a cup of tea in my hand telling someone how how fantastic the charity was and be told it's not enough we're not getting that that kind of feedback I, i miss that and i'm looking forward to having more of that and also to see people you know, events, you know, we've seen some people almost literally grow up with us on events. My first, Glasgow's my hometown. Um, so the first Glasgow Bridges Walk, I'd been here probably a year when we did the first one. And um, the young girl who was first over the line was 14. Um, and she's been she's had a transplant since she was on dialysis then she's had a transplant since and she comes to every Glasgow Bridges walk and that's my only time in the year I catch up with with her and her mum and her sister and their dog um and now she's a young woman and she still comes to the walks and you know I, I can see online what she's doing you know she's always posting things and mum keeps in touch with us but we have you know that's once a year I usually get to see her and Lots of fellow Glaswegians who are walking over the bridges. I don't. That I get a lot from that, and I, you know, I'm missing out. Yeah, really yeah. looking forward to getting back to those things. I don't suppose you have much spare time. Certainly not over the last year. But what do you like to get up to in your spare time to relax? Well, I can see you've got a rugby shirt on there. I think. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. Probably not a wide. <laughs> On, <laughs> on a good Saturday, I'm watching Scotland beating England. <laughs> I'm not going to say much against that. Yeah, it's fair enough. <laughs> but, but that's not obviously a frequent thing. Um, I love I, I love rugby. I, I like football too. I like to watch that. Um, I'm I'm not a gardener, but I do have a a rather unruly garden. Um, uh, I've got a nice garden which my husband looks after, but at the bottom of the garden, there's lots of overgrown bits, and I. The last few weeks, I've been out there trying to clear that, which is quite physically quite challenging because I kind of attack it for an hour or two and then retreat to the house. Um, but that's really satisfying because it's quite, you know, I'm sure it's quite therapeutic for me chopping down loads of unruly trees. I've got lots of cuts on my hands from mm-hmm. thorns and things. Um, but that will be nice for the summer because I didn't really do that last summer. Um, don't know why I didn't quite tackle it because I had lots of time at home. But I've started now, so the intention is to clear that down and have some space at the bottom of the garden. Um, and I've been doing lots of walking, which we're all 
probably yeah. kind of forced into doing. Yeah, daily constitutional, yeah. So what I really like to do, and when we get back to normal, I, I love dancing. I'm a bit of a, like, I love to go out to live music and do a bit of dancing. So uh-huh. I, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we'll get, we're definitely, yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. Eh? It's really interesting you say things like the gardening, because I think I was reading something a while ago and it was sort of talking about how a lot of people's jobs now, success isn't measured in the same way it used to be you know if um well like my brother he was a joiner so he'd know he's got to hang 10 fire doors in a day and he goes home knowing he's done that and he can see what's been done yeah actually a lot of our jobs you can work really really hard and there's not necessarily a physical result certainly not at the end of each day maybe the end of a week or the end of a month you might have a sort of physical piece of work that's done but it can be really hard if you get to the end of the week and there's not there's not a really solid, tangible, this is what I've achieved this week. But that's where some things like the gardening are really good because you walk away and there's a big open space now where where there were just brambles or whatever. So yeah, yeah, make, make yeah. sure you keep doing that. Or some big piles of chopped wood. And... That's the only problem, isn't it? Yeah, you, you expend all your energy hacking it back and then there's the cleanup, isn't there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I think, I think for a podcast that's essentially about the tricky year, that we've that we've all had I think I think the charity's done really really well and couldn't couldn't really have done much more to my mind but it's nice to bear that in the back of your head isn't it that there's always there's always more to do there's always more to do definitely yeah thanks Carl lovely to talk to you on the back of that I'm going to go back down to the lab and go do some more yeah (laughs) it's all very well that you're doing all that stuff but it's not enough that that really sticks in my mind and I think it will stick in my mind um, for a long long time um, wow Sandra has to wear a lot of different hats doesn't she <laughs> um, sort of managing the business side of the charity and making sure that they she, she keeps that interaction up with patients and other interested people um, great to hear. I think the charity's done a fantastic job over the last year I think it's absolutely insane that they've managed to fund the work continue to fund the work that they have um, and then even even launching new work like the Protect V study, Kidney Beam, you know, these are really, really great success stories. I think I think Sandra's quite modest really. Um, but but maybe she maybe she's thinking a lot all the time about about the man there in uh, there in Birmingham. It's not enough. Um, it might well be not enough, but it's certainly a lot. Um, and I think I think a lot of us in the in the community owe, owe a lot to the charity. Um, so I'd uh, just like to take this time to thank Sandra for all her hard work over the last year um, and look forward to seeing her in person as soon as we can and as soon as it's safe um, well thank you for taking the time to listen as ever if you've got any questions on the back of what you've heard today please do get in touch using our Twitter handle um, which is at Keep It Renal um, or get in touch with us on Facebook by searching for the Keep It Renal podcast. We really do want this to be interactive so if you do have any feedback or any questions of your own please do get in touch and let me know. In the meantime take care and I will see you on the next one. ta